0: And I want to cover a topic this morning um, with you about what we want. Because when you start to follow Jesus, there is this inevitable things that we want from God. We want things from God. So, some people become Christians without any intention of actually following Jesus. They just want to avoid something else. Now, we as a church don't want to avoid... Helping out other people around the world, so we have a we have an offering that we do it worldwide. We help out churches that are across the the the, the pond, as they say, in other areas. Uh, some churches in Boston are helping the Ukrainian churches. And if you're familiar with the news, there's a major conflict going on, and the inflation of Ukraine is about eighty percent. So, unemployment and cost of things are a struggle, and. Just recently, the the ministers of the church and anyone who is 24 to 64 got drafted into the Ukrainian army. And ministers got drafted into the army to go and fight against the Russians, to go and prepare for battle. Your brothers and sisters, people that I know, they got drafted. And so the Boston church and many other churches helped them out Emotionally, spiritually, and financially. So this is our area of the world. we got Northern Europe. It's an awesome place. It's the Baltics there. That's Estonia, Latvia, and, and Lithuania. And I'm just going to give you a quick update on our, on our special missions. Uh, our fundraising goal is $25,000. You can give from a personal weekly giving sacrifice. You can uh, be creative with any ideas you want to fundraise. GoFundMe.com and all kinds of things to do. Uh, Craigslist, garage sales, anything you want. Bake cookies, anything you want. So that's the kind of the goal in the spirit, and uh, we're going to be giving it on that day. And uh, our goal and our, our where we're at today, year to date, is thirty one fifty seven. Yeah. Okay, we're climbing the pop charts. I also wanted to welcome uh, David and Marsha Balboa, who are visiting from Marietta, Georgia. They were actually a part of Shoreline for many years. Where's there? There's Marsha. Where's Dave? They stepped out. or you guys had a in, in church bump? It's okay. We we all relate to that. We all relate to fighting with our wives in and out of church. It's part of it. most people become followers of Jesus because they don't want to go there. And that's how sometimes we get into Jesus going, Well, I don't want to go there. But I have no intentions of actually following his teachings. I just don't want to go there. And that's what happens sometimes. People get involved without really wanting to follow. They just want to avoid that. So I read this quote this morning. Not believing doesn't lower the temperature down here one degree. I was like, Ugh. And for me, for me, these are one of the reasons why I became a Christian. It wasn't a predominant, but there was a, there was a feeling I didn't want to go there. Because I did some pretty bad things. And I realized I was going there. This is before I met a Christian. I just knew I was going there. And so some of the motivation when I was met to study the Bible was I didn't want to go there. But then it evolved into something else. My, even though my mixed intentions were wrong, it turned into something actually good. And people sometimes start their spiritual journey... Looking for what they can get get out of following Jesus. For example, I want to get married. I want to to marry a good woman. I want to marry a good man. I want salvation. That's kind of a consumer type person. And I grew up in a home where if I played my cards right, I could manipulate the outcome. If I coughed enough, (coughs) if I gave mom the, the right symptoms... It hurts on this side. Not, not here, but here. It's potential strep throat back there. I didn't say strep, but I said it's back here. And it's really pinchy, not, not sore. I can do my cards right, and I can get my curfew changed. I can avoid going to school with fake notes from my mom. I could hang out with girls when I was supposed to be at school because I wrote a note that I was going to go to school and then I had a dentist appointment that I wrote and I signed for my mom. I manipulated a lot of outcomes. I did that. And people wonder why I didn't get good grades. I wasn't in class. But at the same time, I grew up in a church. I believed in God. But really it was all about me, not God or church. I just went but it was about me, what I wanted from God. I'd light a little candle, I'd say a specific prayer, i said, you better answer this prayer, because I put some money in there and I lit this candle. So you better do something about my situation. And if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us, we start that way. We see our marriage crumbling. We want to see God. We see our husband needs to be fixed, obviously. Let's go to church. How's this going, hey, can you fix my wife while we're here? <laughs> and, you know, I want to I have my kids go to church because I want them to obey me. <laughs> so let's go to church. So the kids, they're not listening to me. Maybe they'll listen to Jesus. And if you're hoping it's going to fill this hole in your heart, we'll be disappointed in the, in the process of following Jesus. And if you're honest, you're not really here to honor God as much as you're here to fix yourselves. Or get someone, or God to fix somebody you know or care about. But that's totally okay. A lot of great things begin for all the wrong reasons. Let me give you an example. People don't have kids because they love kids. Because they haven't seen them yet. What's there to love? You haven't even seen your own baby. They have kids to fulfill something personal. Then they have the baby. And then some good things happen like... I love this kid. I, I actually love this kid. When it's born, I, I, you didn't love him before he was born. You loved him when he actually came. So, so good things can come even from like your own selfish intentions. Good things can still come. And you'll find that with following Jesus. So whatever your motivation is to follow Jesus, whether it's mixed or you have your own, I want to avoid that. Hey, it's okay to start out that way. But there's so much more to gain. Than just that, so I want to talk about that this morning. Following Jesus, even though we begin a journey with mixed agendas, my notes are becoming blurry. I was being prideful. I'm going to be humble. Right, They're blurry right now. Oh my goodness, I can see very clearly now. Wow, well, I was going like I was well about to go like that. I'm like it's getting the closer I look, the blurrier it gets. I was supposed to be like, go this far away. So, but guess who else had mixed intentions when they started following Jesus? His apostles, the twelve, they had mixed intentions too, and the evidence is that you, when you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see things like Jesus is going to be a king, the kingdom is coming, I'm following Jesus. If I'm friends with the king, my life's going to be good. And then not only that was Jesus. When you're king, who is the greatest among us? Who will be the best in your kingdom? Who will be lifted up and honored the most in your kingdom, Jesus? That was a lot of their arguments Who is going to be the greatest in this kingdom that Jesus was going to establish. That's why last week, when Jesus says, I'm going to die, Peter pulls him aside and says, Hey, Jesus, Jesus, let's not go negative. Because you're ruining what I'm going to get out of this. Your plan is affecting my dreams. And so he says... Jesus says to to Peter, Hey, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things and the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We all have human concerns. You come to church, but you want God to do something about something in your life. That's okay. It's not necessarily about following Jesus. It's like, hey, fix this situation, Jesus. So one afternoon... After this conversation, Jesus is talking about how difficult it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. Because it's hard to get them to open their hands and their lives. Okay? So Peter starts thinking about that day and when he walked away from his family business. because He starts talking about the rich. He walked away from his family business. He walked away from his career. And Peter answered Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? What am I going to get out of following you? I left my business. And then and, and the night, the night that Jesus gets arrested, it looks like they have nothing to gain anymore and everything to lose. And what happens? The disciples flee. They go back. They desert Jesus. Jesus didn't throw them out. Eventually, one by one, they came to the point where they were willing to lay down their agendas and take up his teachings. And they turned the world upside down. But this was after they deserted him. They eventually go, wait a minute, wait a minute. My view is all wrong. And so they evolve from mixed intentions, mixed motivations in following Jesus to something more greater than following. So if you're here this morning and you have mixed intentions because your marriage is on the rocks, you your wife and you are sleeping in separate rooms, and you want to, you're, you're in desperate need of help, it's okay to come to church for that. Because then you get exposed to Jesus and His teachings, and maybe it'll evolve. Every one of the disciples came to the, the point of going, yes, it's worth it. Except one. Except one of his twelve did not change. And his name was Judas. Like the other disciples, Judas had a picture of the whole, how the whole thing was going to play out. He understood the Old Testament to say that God would send a king and he would reestablish this kingdom as, as it was in the days of King David and King Solomon. And they believed the Messiah was going to be a reigning king. As what? how he took it. He's going to reign. So that means he's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to reign. And I'm going to be the beneficiary. I'm going to be with him. And so Jesus, obviously a man of God, seemed to fit a lot of those uh, those characteristics of the Messiah with some notable exceptions that Judas may have thought. One, Jesus seemed a little too passive at times. When he'd do something, don't tell anybody. He'd leave the crowd. He'd do a miracle then he'd leave quietly. It's a little too passive for a king. Maybe he didn't hate the Romans enough. If you're going to overthrow them, you've got to hate them. He even paid taxes to Caesar. Give to Caesar's. What is Caesar's? Boop. Strange. You're supposed to overthrow Caesar. He wouldn't get organized and assign positions like an army commander. Twelve tribes. You get that tribe. You get this section. This. He didn't do that. He wouldn't cooperate with the Jewish rulers. You need kind of a, you need kind of a base to get your insurrection going. It'd be good to have those guys on your team. He didn't do that either. And he wasn't concerned with getting a war chest. You know, we need money. We have to fund our overthrow. We have to fund you to be the king. We need money. He didn't do that either. But Judas assumed that Jesus was just biding his time, I believe. After all, he talked a lot about the coming kingdom. So as his theory goes, Jesus was going to throw off the cloak of the rabbi teacher, claim the throne, assume the assumption that his, it was his power to take, he would rise and he would, he would reward those who were with him, who were loyal to him. And Judas was banking on that. Let me give you a, a scripture that gives you a little background in, into Judas. While Jesus was at Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to with him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Which he poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. They were upset about this. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. This account is also in the account of John. And John gives us one extra detail about Judas. But one of his disciples, Judas, same story, same situation, just another view of it that God gives us through John, who was later to betray him, objected. He was the one that said, why hasn't this pursuit been sold and the money given to the poor? See, in Matthew's account, it's just someone just said it. In John's account, he goes, no, it was Judas that said that. It's worth a year's wages. But John goes, he didn't say it just because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money, he was a treasurer, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was a little devious. So we go back to the Matthew account. So aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. She poured out the perfume on his body. She did it to prepare for me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And aren't we fulfilling that prophecy today? How did he know that? How do you know we were talking about that situation right now? It's because he's Jesus. Then, Right after this. Right after Judas says, hey, that's a wasteful of money. And Jesus goes, no it's not. It's for my burial. That messed with Judas right there. Wait a minute, your burial, your death. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second here, pal. You're going to be king and I'm going to help you get there. So then, then, One of the twelve named Judas. He goes to the chief priest. Right after that. Right after this interaction with that woman. That wasteful spending. Hey, you need a war chest, friend. What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver pieces. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. You know what I find interesting about that passage? How absurd it was for Judas to think he's going to hand over the man that can talk to storms. He's going to hand over the man who raises the dead. He's going to hand over the man that can cure leprosy with a touch. He's going to, the absurdity that he's going to hand him over. Because he wants his plan. And he took matters into his own hands. Perhaps to force the hand of Jesus. Why else? It was a good thing going. If I turn him over to the authorities, he'll be forced to reveal himself. Certainly he will not allow himself to be hurt. And if he's a phony, I went either way. But little did he, Judas, know. Little did he know about he was about to learn and become an illustration For an important truth. God's hand cannot be forced. God's will cannot be thwarted. We cannot force God's hand and change what He's already designed to do. And that's what Judas wanted to happen. He wanted to force God's hand into something else. But he didn't know he was going to become the illustration. He didn't realize that no one's going to name their kid Judas ever again. He didn't realize all these things. Why? Because he was blinded by ambition. He was blinded by greed. And when you're blind, you're blind to the reality. And we all easily do that, don't we? Don't we lose that reality? And so during the Passover... Jesus says, we're going to go over to the garden of Gethsemane. And so Judas slips away. He informs the chief priests. They confront Jesus and his twelve and his company. Judas kisses Jesus to identify him. Because he wasn't blonde hair. He didn't have blistering blue eyes. He looked like one of the twelve. He looked like one of them. So who, who do we arrest? Or the one I kiss. Arrest that guy. So Judas kisses him. And then they arrest Jesus. And Judas is going, Oh, okay, I guess it's good. This is good. And then, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans to have Jesus executed. So they bound Him, led Him away, and handed Him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, had, who had betrayed Him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. What? What? You're going to kill him? No, 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 don't kill him. Don't kill him. Jesus, come on, show him who you are. Jesus, come on, do something. Rise up. You woke the dead. You calmed the storm. Uh-uh. He was filled with remorse because he realized something else was about to happen. He didn't realize it then, but God's will was about to happen. And Judas was an instrument, even though it was his own choice, he accomplished God's will. That's how like mind bending that is. Whoa. Just think about it for a second. His own choice fulfilled God's will. Put your, put your mind about that one, around that one. Whoa. He, worked through your, he works through your personal decision to get his will done. He works through your your crazy decisions to hand him over. God worked. And returned the 37 pieces of coin to the chief priests and the elders. He tried to stop the wheels from turning. And look what he says. I have sinned. I betrayed the innocent blood. I betrayed it. And they say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. You chose this path. You're responsible for the outcome of the journey. And then Judas throws the money back in the temple and left. Why do you think he threw back the money? He liked money. But he threw it back. Maybe because it was a reminder of what he just did. He's like, I'm trying to undo my will now. I'm trying to undo it. You ever do something of your will and you go, Oh, that doesn't work. Let me undo this. No, it's too late. The consequences. And God has already put it in play through His own decision what was going to happen. That's why when you read about it, He was going to hand Jesus over. That's how absurd that is. God, is. I'm, I'm, I'm going to force the hand of God through my prayer and through my life, to get Him what I want Him to do. Because I want what I want. And we can all start our Christianity that way. I want you to fix my wife, fix my husband, fix my kids, heal my marriage. But there's so much more to that. So many greater things. I want you to find me a husband, find me a wife. There's so much more. Judas went away and hanged himself. I want you to, I want you to see this next verse and see, look at this. Look at the hypocrisy and the religiosity of the leaders. The chief priests pick up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury. Okay? It was against the law to conspire against Jesus. But they're like, It's against the law to accept this money back. Knowing that we're just going to murder an innocent man. But it's a, this violates an obscure law in the Old Testament not to do this. We just violated murder. So, they decided to use the mine to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why... It has been called the field of blood to this day. When this was written, at that time, you could go visit that place. You can go see what they bought with the money that Judas gave back. God's hand cannot be forced. His will cannot be thwarted. But let's be honest. Let's be real honest. We've all tried to force God's hand. But you don't really want a God who can be thwarted, do you? Do you want a God who can be manipulated? Who can be tricked and duped? We don't want a God like that. Because we learn this. God is patient with us. We begin following God going tightly fisted. And we're closed to our lives. And then we start praying like that. My will. My will. And you're like, God, this is what I want. This is what I need you to do. I know what it's going to take to get you. What's it going to take to get you to do my bidding? Okay, I'll go to church more. Okay, I'll give more money to church. Okay, I'll send less. I'll call my parents on the weekends. Fine, fine, I'll take my vitamins. And that's how people attempt to get God to follow them. I'll do this, and you do this. That kind of praying will just make you more religious. But God will always seem distant because that God does not exist. There is not a God in heaven. Who you can manipulate and thwart and change His will. That God does not exist. Amen. That's paganism. That's idolatry. That's, if I just bury you in my house, my house will sell. If I just take St. Joseph and I put him on the ground and I bury him and I say a prayer, the Lord is going to sell this house above market value. <laughs> Because that's what they use poor little St. Joseph for. Poor, poor little St. Joseph gets buried every year. Gets buried into the ground. Repeatedly. Because they want God to say, God, I'm gonna, I took your Joseph This is Jesus' daddy. And I'm going to put him in the ground. I'm going to pray to you. And the house is blessed. <laughs> Sell this house above market value. And then we do it. Do you want a God like that? Maybe you're frustrated because there is no God like that. He doesn't exist. He's not there. That's idolatry. That's paganism. That's a God who will never allow bad things to happen to good people. That God doesn't exist. But people want to believe that. Something bad happened to me and now I don't believe in God. Well, good. Because that God never existed anyway. That God never existed. A God whose hand can be forced or who can be thwarted. He doesn't exist. So it comes down to this. I want you more than what I want. That is what I want you to get go. I want you to get there. To a place where I want you... More than what I want. and But here's where it begins for most of us. I want to want what you want more than I want. Because His will can't be thwarted. I want God. I want Him. It's a place where it's not my will, but your will be done. But sometimes we can't bring ourselves to do that because... It represents a loss that seems too great to bear. It seems like we're missing out on something else. I mean, before you turn your back on God, before you dismiss Him and say, I don't think so. Before you allow your disappointment with God to drive you to a decision you most certainly will regret later. Your Heavenly Father, this is the prayer I want you to to express Heavenly Father, maybe not in these words, in your own words, I want to want what you want more than I want. I want to want what you want more. That's the the epitome of denying yourself. I want what you want more than what I want. It's a place where where you can begin. It's interesting that Jesus didn't stop Judas from what he was intending to do. Judas didn't stop Jesus for what he was intending to do either. That's what's interesting about that passage. And God probably won't stop you either. That ought to be enough to scare your hands open. It does for me. Judas tried to go back and undo what he did. But some things cannot be undone. They can only be forgiven. Man, if I had a, if I could go back in time, I would do my life so much more, but then it would turn me into a Pharisee. <laughs> Some things can't be undone. They can only be forgiven. Because God's hand, it can't be forced. His will can't be thwarted. And Judas would tell us, Blessed is he or she who chooses to follow God's will rather than attempting to impose one's own will. But that's our nature. We, we think we can do it to God because we've done it successfully to other people. We found success in getting our will done through our creative ways of getting you to do what I want. We read all the books, all the knowledge, all the, all the skill to get you to do what I want you to do. And then we think we can take that mentality and then go to God with it. Wow. But His will will never be denied. Amen. Ever. And that's, a, that's an encouraging thing to hear if you follow Him. That he has the good in store for you. And that is the promise he makes. Have a great afternoon and enjoy fellowship. Thank you so much.